Hey everybody, I'm Gates. And I'm Kelsey. And welcome to Killer Country. Silent so, dancing for the intro music. Yes. And I am going to just start by apologizing, guys. I forgot the alphabet. And I forgot the states in the alphabet. I forgot I forgot the alphabetical order of the states, I should say. And um, for the past week, I've been thinking that we were doing a case on Georgia and not Florida. So that's all I've been working on this past <laughs> week. So... We have found a solution to the problem Um, since we have given y'all a couple of very heavy episodes lately. We are going to give you a in and out case in Florida and the same for Georgia. So um, I can't guarantee that the episodes will be any shorter, but I can give you, I can give you that. (laughs) Yes. So how have you been? I'm good. I'm good. We're very busy, very busy in Q4 at work. So how are you? Have you poked any eyeballs lately? Oh my gosh. I have poked some eyeballs recently. I wanted to punch some throats recently. (laughs) I think that's internal medicine or ENTs. (laughs) Yes. No, pregnancy has made me such an angry person. It feels like, and as soon as people start to give me sass, I just want to give it right back instead of de-escalate the situation at this point. I think that's all the testosterone boiling through your blood because I don't feel that way. I feel actually very happy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And like, so I heard, you know, you're supposed to be sleeping on your left side to give your baby more, more nutrients through the mm-hmm. night. So I've been doing that. And we just had our anatomy scan, our 20-week anatomy scan. This boy is measuring at 21 and 22 weeks. <laughs> So he's getting plenty of nutrients. I need to stop giving this child such nutrients. (laughs) I did that last night. I cannot sleep on my left side. Like I even have my pillow to try to make me sleep on my left side. Mm -hmm. It does not happen. I end up on my right always or on my back, which is not recommended. But Mm -hmm. they say if you're elevated a little bit, it's fine. So I'm practically sitting straight up in the bed. I can't breathe (laughs) at all. (laughs) Like oh does she sit high I don't know she must a little bit um because if I slouch at all I like it cuts my lungs in half like I'm shallow breathing I can't take a deep breath so if I'm huffing and puffing while I'm talking that's why yeah I don't have any problems with that I've been having problems with my ribs recently so it seems like up there he does (laughs) you are so right I just remembered that (laughs) Because that's the side that she was getting whenever she was getting his feet. Yeah. But it just feels like all the muscles are just like pulling forward. And he's a big boy. <laughs> like his he's daddy is 6'3", and I'm over here at 5'5". Five five. He's going to be so. a big boy. Yeah, going to get that D1 athlete. <laughs> well, have we had any news in true crime recently? I feel like it's been very, I hate to see, say the Q word, but it's been very quiet. Oh, you just had the keyword, you I know, know but I called are... it out first. So maybe that like counteracts it in the universe. 
So I feel like I, I saw something and I was going to screenshot it so I could bring it up. I just uh, got distracted because <laughs> like Nick has a Christmas party coming up where this pregnant lady gets to wear a cocktail dress. Ooh, This is the dress that I bought. So this is the front of it. Oh, that's really pretty. But the back and Nick is actually the one that picked this out. Oh, Nick. He has a little bit of style too. Oh, that's cute. You're going to be comfortable yeah. in that. Yeah, especially yeah. the full open back, so I'm not going to be. Yeah, when's the party? The whole time on the 11th, and the dress gets here on the 9th. Hey, I mean, it'll be fine. Yeah, I have. If you need to, I have a very nice Christmassy cocktail dress. I can send you a picture. So as a backup, if you need something, um, yes, yeah, it would actually probably be perfect um, as a backup for you. Thank you. I am trying to see. If there's anything, um, there was a mass shooting, a school shooting. Oh, I saw, I heard that on the radio this morning. Uh, What, a Mm 15-year-old kid? um, I think they said, was it three dead and six injured? Yeah, three dead. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, his, the father had bought a gun four days before the shooting. Oh, and he just, oh, that's terrible. I did see actually on the um, crime junkie discussion group on Facebook, somebody had posted not long ago um, in Florida, actually Southeast Florida outside Palm beach gardens, a 14 year old was reported missing and they found his body near a sidewalk on a major road and they ruled his death a homicide. Oh, so the post was asking for information. There's a reward and everything, but I'm like 14 years old. That's oh. No, that's so sad. Yeah, so with this, it says that it was a 15-year-old. Three students were killed. Eight were injured. Goodness, world. Everybody needs to calm down. Yep. Hakuna Yurtadas, please. please. Well, I'm going to take us to Florida, and I'm not going to tell you right away where we're going. Oh, okay. I know. I know. The suspense. (laughs) Um, I'm actually going to start... With a 1971 Chevrolet Cheyenne pickup truck. Okay. Yes. So this was not the kind of pickup truck that we know today. Like when I think of a pickup now, you think of like the huge flashy Ford F-150s, Chevy pickups that are like ginormous and take up two lanes on the road. Yeah. That's what I think of. What was the name of that? What was the name of the truck again? It was a 1971 Chevrolet Cheyenne pickup truck. Cheyenne, like Wyoming. And it's actually a vintage truck um, at the time of the case. And today it's a classic muscle vehicle. It, it has, if you're looking up a picture um, or if you're not looking up a picture, it has a blocky grill and cab. So it's kind of squared off and it has square headlights. Um, and it looks like a little bit longer bed, but it rides real low to the ground. So it's more of a flashy vehicle than it is a work vehicle okay so what i'm thinking of is um like drag racing in it basically yes yes okay yep and it's actually the same exact same year and model of the truck that cole hauser drives in dazed and confused have you ever seen that movie no, no. Oh, it's a classic gates <laughs> i haven't seen a lot of classes i just watched the uh matrix Oh, I've not seen so, The Matrix. I can't say oh, much. Okay. No. <laughs> um, and Cole Hauser, if you didn't know, is the beautiful Rip from Yellowstone. Do you watch Yellowstone? 
No. Okay. That's okay. I haven't either, but I have seen all the pictures and he's beautiful. <laughs> so that's actually on my husband and I's list of must watch shows. Oh, I know who that guy yes. is. Yes. So in the movie, Dazed and Confused, his truck was black. So that's immediately what I envisioned. But mm -hmm. this one was actually a cherry red. Oh, fancy. Yeah. Uh, the pickup was purchased by Richard Van Dusen in the late 1990s when he'd been looking for a hobby. Van Dusen was born as a New York State native in 1945, and he moved to Clearwater, Florida in 1977, where he worked as a regional sales manager for Lanier Corp. Lanier Corp, I'm going to assume, is the same Lanier Corp that is now known as Lanier, and they sell, like, printers, ink toner, um, online programs, computer software, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. At the time, they were primarily known as the printers and inks. And he, he was a salesman for color printers. Okay. By all reports I could find, he was actually very, very successful in sales. Um, and he, at this point, was a single, single man. He did have kids, so he was a single dad and doing very well. His family also wrote about him saying that he was an avid outdoorsman, civil war buff, and volunteer with the local Big Brother Big Sister program. Oh, I really want to like this guy, but I'm scared <laughs> to like him. Am I allowed to like him? You could like him. You can like okay. him all the way. <laughs> okay, good. Yes. Oh, I know. Um, and he was, of course, a devout car enthusiast. He bought the truck as a project piece, and when he bought it, it was already in really beautiful condition mm -hmm. um but when he after he purchased it he refurbished it to like mint condition it was beautiful he put all of oh, the man. elbow grease into it to make sure the interior was flawless um and he did that because his his whole idea was that he was going to show it in weekend car shows with his brother um which he did he actually won a lot a lot of them he would win best of class awards so oh man I'm not a big person a car person or car show person <laughs> but i actually have been to a couple recently for work and these cars are beautiful like really yes from and they have all different kinds like some of them are like they kind of look like beat up drunker cars but they're like classic vehicles and mm -hmm. they're rusted out and everything but they're but that's like kind of the beauty in them i guess so i've like come to like car shows i guess very nice <laughs> yes um he did this for a while and he absolutely loved showing the car he loved going on the weekends with his brother um it was a great hobby to have since he'd been a bachelor for so long he actually was divorced in 1983 so when he bought the vehicle he had just been working and needed something to focus on mm -hmm. i can honestly think of a lot worse things for a longtime divorcee to be doing <laughs> to yes. keep his mind off things. Um, so showing a car, I feel like is pretty, pretty harmless. Pretty wholesome. Yeah. The hobby did not last forever because mm -hmm. in August of 2000, he met and married Carla Burnett. And Ooh. all that time he was spending with his car went into his love for Carla. For I know. Carla. Carla. <laughs> <laughs> Traded one car for another. Yes. Um, Carla, now Van Dusen, was only 49 years old, born in 1954, and Richard was about nine years her senior. Carla was originally from North Carolina and moved to St. Pete Beach in 2000. 
She worked in Florida as a court reporter and worked on weekends volunteering as a performing clown for birthday parties and visitations to the children's hospital. Okay, that's sweet, but at the same time, I hate clowns. I know. (laughs) And coincidentally, this is the second case I've done that had involved clowns. So I don't know. I don't know. Just drawn to them, I guess. Please (laughs) stop. Did I tell you about the one of the last times that I encountered a clown? No. I literally kicked him in the balls. I was so scared. Like we were in Branson, Missouri. Uh, I was I was probably like I don't know twelve at the time, and I had gotten uh, disconnected from my family. Like they had, I had gotten lost basically. Yeah. And this clown was trying to be nice, but he scared the crap out of me, and he like bent down to my level, and I'm like over here with like wide eyes and like (laughs) trying to get away from him, and he just keeps coming closer. You know, he retired after that. He's like, yeah, I'm done with twelve year old girls kicking me in the balls. That's the end of my career. I I plateaued. I started screaming and I found my parents. (laughs) I mean, stranger danger. (laughs) Yes, stranger danger. Well, this couple, newlywed couple, lived in Tierra Verde, Florida. Tierra Verde is an island located off of the west coast of Florida in Tampa Bay near St. Petersburg, Florida. The current population of Tierra Verde is 3,721. And in 2003, the time of our case, the population was not far off of that. It was around 3,574. So it hasn't grown much since the time of this case and probably because it's an island. So there's Mm -hmm. not a whole lot of room (laughs) to grow. Yeah. And I feel like islands are retiree, like where retirees go. Absolutely. Yep. Retirees and snowbirds. Yes. Isn't that a retiree though? Yeah, but they're retirees from the north. Okay. So yeah. they're not they're not native. They're, <laughs> we just all go to where it's warm when when it's cold as hell in Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. I mean, most people from Florida aren't from Florida. That's true. Tierra Verde was once 15 different islands covered in mangroves. And for centuries before being quote unquote discovered, Tierra Verde was used for Native American ceremonies and burial grounds. Oh, I know. (laughs) Oh, no. Why would you move there? It's sacred (laughs) ground, my dudes. Yes. Uh, There's actually only one marker on the entire island that honors those burial grounds. And I'm like almost a thousand percent sure that 90% of those homes are built right on top of them. So, yeah, not going there ever. (laughs) In the mid-1950s, a land bridge was built between Tierra Verde and the mainland off of Peneas Point, which is the very southern tip of St. Petersburg. Uh, Back in 2003 now, Carla and Richard were very much in love. They'd only been married for just shy of three years at that point. Um, As I mentioned, Richard seemed to be spending less and less time with his show car, so he decided it was time to sell it. He was spending less time with his show car and more time with his (laughs) wife car. (laughs) It did not take long before Richard had a buyer and they arranged the sale. The couple was seen leaving their home on the island the day before Thanksgiving at around 6 p.m. Some some claims say it was closer to 6 p.m. and some say it was closer to 5, but it was definitely between 5 and 6 that evening. Mm -hmm. They left in separate vehicles. Richard drove the Chevrolet Cheyenne and Carla drove their Jeep. Unfortunately, that would be the last time anyone would see them alive. Oh, 
It's both of them? I know. (laughs) The Jeep was found by a store owner on November 26th, 2003, which makes sense because Thanksgiving was the day before and Mm -hmm. they would have been closed. Mm -hmm. Carla's Jeep was found with bullet holes on the exterior, (gasps) driver's side door ajar, seatbelt hanging out, and Carla's purse was found in the vehicle along with multiple smears of blood a bullet casing and a driver's license that did not belong to Carla or Richard. Oh my gosh. Yes. During the investigation, they found a couple of things that were noteworthy. One, there were no fingerprints found on the license or the seatbelt that was hanging out of the the driver's side door uh, that didn't belong to Carla or Richard. Okay. The thought with this, with the seatbelt is that it appeared to kind of have been tossed off, like as if somebody had been getting out of the vehicle quickly and just Mm -hmm. kind of threw it um, after them as they got out. And then the second thing that really comes into play is that bullet. Even without fingerprints, the good thing about driver's license is they tell you exactly who the (laughs) owner is. (laughs) And where they live. Where they live, or at least where they lived at one point. Yes. This particular license belonged to Henry Sullivan. Henry Sullivan had an extensive arrest record. Hmm. Um, he Some of the charges on his record were narcotics possession and aggravated battery. Oh. Yes. And police paid Sullivan a visit right away because, uh, hello, prime suspect literally served you on a silver platter. Yes. Um, and... He lived at the address listed on the on the driver's license. Oh, imagine that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what luck. Um, they found him at home. He was there. And so was the 1971 Cherry Red Chevrolet Cheyenne. <gasps> Are you serious? Yep. Oh, the balls. Uh, right. <laughs> um, they immediately brought him in for questioning um, at this point. They not only had evidence of him being on the scene, but they also had the vehicle parked outside of his home. Oh, my gosh. He immediately claimed that that pickup truck in the parking lot outside his home did not belong to him. And he had no idea how his license ended up at the scene of a double murder because he claimed that it had been stolen a few weeks prior. Did he report it? Do you report driver's license stolen? I mean, I, I never did. I had a license in college that I used and it was stolen and along with my actual driver's license and I never said a word like I just kept that hush hush and that was in like probably September of that year and it was mailed back to me at Christmas of the same year. Oh my gosh. I so know. maybe someone was doing what you were doing with that other license with your license. <laughs> yeah. Maybe so. Uh, actually, I know what they were doing. So I lost it at a, at a Bama game. And I left it in a cab. So I didn't actually lose it. I just misplaced it. Okay. And it was picked up by somebody else. And they brought it home actually to Florida. And coincidentally. Yeah. And they found it ditched in their yard. And they called me and said, hey, or no, they messaged me on Facebook. They looked me up on Facebook and they said, hey, we found your your wallet and your ID in Florida. <laughs> what do you want us to do with it? And I was like, well, I guess you can mail it back to me. At that point, I mean, I had a new one. I had new debit cards and everything. Mm-hmm. And so they did. They sent it back. And literally the only thing out of it was the one license that wasn't mine <laughs> that I had been using. Oh, okay. I'm like, this sucks. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> yep. Um, anywho, the second item I mentioned was that single bullet, and it was found lying in the floorboard of the Jeep, and it was determined to be a bullet from a 9mm handgun. While they were questioning Sullivan, they um, they got a warrant for his home and obviously were searching for evidence there. They found two guns. One of them was inoperable, kind of a collector's item. The other, a 9mm handgun. Oh, man. Man, yeah. this case, like, it's just twists and turns and things I never would have guessed. <laughs> I know, right? Really keeping you on your toes. Yes. <laughs> I did say it was open and closed. Yeah, you did. You are so right. Of course, the truck was searched during the investigation as well to see if they had any sign of foul play or anything like that. Um, they did not find anything in the Chevrolet, but it was almost kind of be to be expected because they assumed that that was the motive of the crime. Mm -hmm. Once police started snooping around the truck and they were going to impound it, they were approached by another man named William DeParvine. He was slightly irritated with the search because... He said that the 1971 Chevrolet Cheyenne belonged to him and that he had just purchased the vehicle from the Van Dusens for $6,500. Plot twist. <laughs> because you're a freak for inflation, <laughs> this <laughs> would amount to around $9,770 today. Okay. Yes. That's a good uh, amount to spend on a collector's truck. It is. DeParvine even had a bill of sale to prove this. There was one issue with his claim. During the initial investigation, authorities spoke to friends and family of the Van Dusens to identify if they had enemies, you know, threats. Were the, was there anybody out to get them? That kind of yeah. thing. And one of Richard's coworkers actually came forward and said that a few days prior to the bodies, um, excuse me, the truck being found, Richard had told them that he found a buyer for the Chevrolet and would be selling it for $13,500. Oh. That would have been $19,541. <laughs> okay. That's more like it. Yes. So a little bit of a discrepancy here with um, DeParvin's story, but... Mm -hmm. Still checked out. I mean, he had that bill of sale that said $6,500. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit more about DeParvine. And he was a little bit of a character. Mm. So DeParvine was from St. Petersburg, worked in steel construction. And he had only been out of prison for about seven months at the time that he supposedly met the Van Dusens to purchase the vehicle. Oh, my gosh. That quickly out of? Yes. From seven oh. months. Okay. He really yeah. must have missed prison. <laughs> right. Uh, at that point, police were trying to figure out what had happened and how Jeparvin could have been involved because they had all this evidence against Sullivan. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it it was pretty much open and closed at that point with Sullivan. Nearby where the Van Dusens had been found, the bodies of Richard and Carlo were also found lying face down on a gravel road. Mm -hmm. Both had gunshot wounds to the head. And it made it clear that there had been an altercation at this supposed meetup to purchase the Chevrolet. Mm -hmm. um, it just, they knew exactly, they knew that that was the motive. So they knew that even though the bodies weren't found at the scene, it didn't matter. Yeah. The autopsy revealed that Richard had been shot once in the back of the head and Carla, in addition to being shot twice in the head, had also been stabbed twice in the chest. What in the world? I know. The couple was both found wearing all of their jewelry, 
gold wedding bands. Um, Carla had a very nice ring, gold earrings. Richard still had his wallet and money clip on him. And uh, like we know from before, Carla's purse was found in the Jeep. Okay. So I know you said that the bill of, he had a bill of sale. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm guessing obviously they didn't find that money on the Van Dusen's at all. Nope. They did not, but they also weren't missing anything. Yeah. With the nature of the attack, the fact that the bodies were not found at the scene and the way the vehicle's driver's side door was left open in what looked to be kind of a hurry, police believe that there had been a third person involved in the attack and they thought the Van Dusen's probably knew them. When it comes down to it, they really don't know what the heck happened. They have this guy who has all this evidence stacked against him. They have another guy who's claiming he was he bought the vehicle, so he's almost inserting himself in the situation, mm-hmm. but no evidence against him. At the time, the primary suspect was Henry Sullivan. Mm-hmm. Um, that evidence they had the vehicle found literally at his home. The evidence was found linking him on the scene. The potential murder weapon found inside of his home. And he had that history of aggravated battery. So he's not a bad suspect. No. The, o- the only issue was that they, they had not been robbed. So they, they're they assuming that the motive was this car. But the car mm-hmm. was for sale. So it wasn't a very good motive. You know, they Mm-mm. were already wanting to get rid of it. However, that single bullet they found on the floorboard of the Jeep did not match the gun they found in his home. What? Even though it came from the same type of weapon, a nine millimeter handgun, the barrel markings did not match up. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> in addition, Police quickly found that William DeParvine, who was claiming he purchased the vehicle from the Van Dusen's, lived in an apartment on the same property as Henry Sullivan. Okay, so then it could have been parked at his apartment? Right. And so- oh. William DeParvine immediately became the number one suspect in the murders of Richard and Carla Van Dusen, and authorities pieced together what actually happened that day in November. It first started with a testimony on trial that the initial ad Richard had placed in an attempt to sell the truck ran from February to March of that year, 2003. The truck was placed on consignment um, with an auctioneer named Stuart Myers, who testified that Richard had placed it on reserve for $17,000 and actually denied a bid to sell it for $15,000. So that's automatically telling them that he was selling it for much, much more. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't planning on accept- accepting anything less. Right. Um, they also found that the final ad that Richard had placed in the Times on November 20th, 2003, just before all this happened, listed the vehicle as, quote, $13,700 or partial trade for four-wheel drive Jeep. Um, it was clear that he never intended to sell the vehicle for $6,500, like DeParvin claimed. Yes. They also pulled phone records from these days and found that Carla had actually placed a call to her mother that lasted about 37 minutes and around this time that between 5 and 6 p.m. And her mother testified that she heard a car motor running in the background and asked Carla if she was in the Chevrolet or not. And Carla replied that she was following Rick and the guy that bought the truck. He knows where to get the paperwork done tonight. She also said Carla told her the guy was going to pay for the truck in cash. Oh, okay. I know. Um, so, like I mentioned before, with the driver's license, forensics found no fingerprints belonging to DeParvine in that vehicle, um, in the in the Jeep, I should say, um, okay. at all. 
They did, however, find a blood mixture stain that contained both Richard's and DeParvin's DNA. Dude. <laughs> Where did they find that? In the in the Jeep? In the Jeep. Yes. Okay. In the Jeep. Um, most of our most of the crime scene was where the Jeep was found, not where the bodies were found. Okay. DeParvin had calculated it to appear that he had still legally purchased the vehicle from the Van Dusens and they had been murdered after their meetup. He did this by crafting a fake bill of sale that mm-hmm. listed the vehicle as sold as 6500 and had Richard's signature on it. It was confirmed that the signature was legitimate. It was not a forged signature and the bill of sale was notarized. Okay. Okay. I I my wheels are turning. <laughs> okay. Can I guess? You can. Okay. So, uh the reason why uh Carla uh was shot twice and stabbed twice was that because they were basically holding her hostage so they could get um, him in the place to get the, it notarized. <laughs> Legally air quoted. Yes. It's a good thought. Oh, it's a but good it's not thought. it. It's not it. <laughs> That's okay. Okay. <laughs> um, the details were covered because this was not the first time DeParvin had attempted this same ploy. Oh, I should have asked what, what he was in prison for. a man by the name of george harrington testified at the trial that in august of that same year 2003 he had posted his 1996 ford f-150 for sale and deparvin responded to his ad they met up and deparvin stated he would pay for the vehicle in cash just like carla had said and that he had a mechanic friend in a nearby town that would inspect the vehicle before the purchase. This happened to be the same town that the bodies were found on the road to, like the town that connected or the road oh. that connected them. DeParvin supposedly gave Harrington, um, George Harrington, a blank bill of sale and told him to have it notarized before they met. But Harrington and Harrington did that. He did that to be prepared for the sale um but they never ended up meeting oh deparvin of course denied that all this happened and said it was completely a a completely amicable exchange he said nothing nothing went awry he said that they met on tuesday november 25th 2003 where richard offered to let him test drive the truck supposedly so he says the truck ran out of gas shortly down the road and they had to go and get a gas can in the Jeep and then take the truck to be filled up at a gas station. So I know this sounds like super silly, but I've actually heard of that being a strategy when people sell vehicles because you can't get very far if you run out of gas. So okay. they'll put just enough gas in the tank where they'll allow like a five mile test drive and then they have to return back, you know? So if they do try to run, they can't get very far. Okay. That makes I don't sense. know. Yeah. I don't know if that's um, something he did, but it was actually when I was trying to sell a vehicle, it was a strategy given to me that they recommended I do. Huh. Um, so like I said, they claim they went to this gas station, filled up the truck He said that they then drove to the Van Dusen home to complete the sale there, and he stayed there for about two hours. He claimed that Van Dusen accepted his offer of $6,500 cash because he, quote, just wanted to get rid of it. 
something that he devoted his life to at one point in time. He just wanted to get rid of it. Yeah. And literally less than half of what he originally wanted for. Yes. That's what he's claiming. Okay. So they asked him how he received the funds for this truck. And he claimed that he had sold a Rolex watch that he had inherited from another inmate who was terminally ill that had given it to him while they were in prison together. How did he get a Rolex in prison is my question. (laughs) How did he get a Rolex out of prison is my question. (laughs) Yeah. These are good (laughs) questions. Yes. Um, Results from the investigation showed that his bank account never went above $826.21 between the months of June and December of 2003. Oh, my gosh. So, so yeah, definitely. His false. his claim to this, his defense to this was that he sold it for cash. Um, Department then claimed that he, Richard and Carla, returned to the truck to complete the exchange. And he sat in the back seat. He and Car- um, Richard and Carla were in the front. And that he saw another man with a salt and pepper beard wearing sunglasses in his mid-50s drive up with the 1971 cherry red Chevrolet. He said, Deparvin said that he paid Richard the rest of the money and Richard got out of the Jeep and into the car with this other man and drove off. He stated that at that point, he never left his apartment complex after that exchange. So in my mind, I'm like, you supposedly just paid for this vehicle that he, the owner drove off with another guy in, but you have the vehicle, (laughs) but he bought the vehicle but they never saw the vehicle until it showed back up at his house. After these two people were murdered. Yes, correct. Correct. But he never left. He never left. Yeah, Yeah, totally (laughs) makes sense. I completely believe this story. (laughs) Um, He actually maintained his innocence throughout the entire trial. Wow. The whole time, he never never faltered. It did matter, of course. Um, It was concluded that Department answered Richard's ad, claiming interest in purchasing the vehicle, um, but arranged and arranged a meeting with the couple. His true intent was to murder the couple and take the vehicle for himself. Deparvin shot and killed Richard and Carla, dumped their bodies from the Jeep on the gravel road, returned to the scene where he left the Jeep and drove the 1971 Chevrolet home to his apartment complex. With it being Thanksgiving, I can't imagine there were too many people out um, the evening before Thanksgiving, but it would make sense why he, why it appeared that the driver of the Jeep got out in a hurry. He was mm-hmm. getting out from one vehicle into the other. On August 4th, 2005, a jury found him guilty on two counts of first degree murder and recommended eight to four that he be sentenced to death on both counts. After this ruling in November of that same year, almost two years after the murders to the day, they had another hearing where a psychologist actually testified that DeParvin had elevated scales for depression and also psychopathic deviance. The psychologist also said that although DeParvin did, did not suffer from full personality disorder, he did have personality disorder traits and was diagnosed with dysthymic mood disorder, which is actually a form of depression. Oh. Regardless... That psychologist's testimony confirmed that those traits played a role in the choices he made, but did not in any way limit his ability to make them. So he was not able to claim insanity. Good. Yeah. On January 6, 2006, William DeParvin was sentenced to death. 
I wish I could say it all ended here and it was a close, close casket. Uh -uh. Dark joke. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The family and that the family received closure, but it is not. One thing that I have yet to mention about DeParvin is that before he got all involved with the law and started like hurting people and stealing cars, he actually received a law degree. No. Yes. No, 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 no. (laughs) Yes. So while in prison on death row, DeParvin filed an argument that he rightfully owned the 1971 Chevrolet Cheyenne because he had a legal notarized bill of sale to prove it. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. No, my dude, no. Um, Van Dusen's daughter, Michelle Kroger, had already sold the truck at that point because she said it was just too painful for the family to keep up. Um, but yeah. she did she did have lawyers involved. In the summer of 2008, a judge granted a summary that deemed that the Van Dusen's were the lawful owners. So because Good. of his, his action of murder, after the fact of selling a vehicle, uh, I guess that means you don't get to own the vehicle. Yeah. That you murdered someone for. No. It still wasn't over. No. Oh, I, I, <laughs> mm, Kelsey. In 2009, DeParvin appealed the ruling. He claimed. It was denied. It was. But he claimed that he was not trying to harass the Van Dusens. That he just wanted, he just wanted to know that that vehicle was his. And it wasn't harassment. Go suck on a big toe. I know. Oh so it God. was denied. Um, I actually could not find anything if he had already been sentenced to death. He was 57 at the time of the crime. Um, so, I mean, he would still be alive and kicking now. But if he hadn't already been sentenced. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I I like how it was, you know, just a nice kind of open flowing story that we didn't have too many crazy twists and turns. I definitely do not like how it ended. I, I know. did not like the plot twist that <laughs> he studied law. <laughs> well, and and that it wasn't Sullivan. Like when I, yeah. I as I was reading it, reading these articles, I was like, okay, obviously that like this is not going to have very much information. It's pretty pretty open and closed. Like I said at the beginning, yeah. and then I was like, wait, what? Who is this man? <laughs> How did this happen? Plot twist. Yes. But uh, the Van Dusen's daughters are still like very much involved. And they actually, Michelle spoke out quite a bit in a lot of the articles that I was reading on. So um, I know that they finally have some closure. Good. Yes. They definitely deserve it. They do. So speaking of closure, um, some missing from Florida missing closure that I hope we can bring for them. Um, the missing person for the state of Florida is 15 year old, um, Nevea Marin. She went missing on Monday, November 1st, 2021. And she's listed as a missing endangered juvenile. Um, the sheriff's deputies in Florida have taken the report, um, 
and are asking for the community to help bring her home, provide any information they can. She's 15 years old, white female, five feet, six inches tall, 170 pounds with brown eyes and long brown hair. She was last seen wearing red shorts and there wasn't any other um, clothing descriptions listed for her, but they did say red shorts. And she was last seen on October 30th, 2021, reported missing November 1st um, in Dunnellan, Florida. So if you have any information on Nevaeh or know where she could be, please contact the Citrus County Sheriff's Office, Major Crimes Unit at 352-249-2790. Again, her name is Nevaeh. Um, Marin is her last name, M-U-R-R-I-N, and she is 15, last seen October 30th, wearing red shorts. Man, so young. I know. Just, and she looks, she looks kind of like a, kind of like an immature or a naive 15-year-old, you know, not oh. like one of these 15-year-olds that look like they're 30 20? and older than me. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, <laughs> I lack the style, but it's, it's fine. Oh my gosh. You remember whenever we were like 13, 14 and we looked our age? Oh, the like, under eye eyeliner or the eyeliner that went all the way around? Yeah. Yep. And the gauchos <laughs> and the little bead purses. I forgot about gaucho pants. Dude, I <gasps> loved me some gauchos. <laughs> oh my gosh. Did you have the brown ones with the um, camouflage monkey shirt? Yes, <laughs> of course. Why yeah. wouldn't I? I was a fashionable middle schooler. Of course. Now, in high school, that's a different story. I definitely got picked on a lot oh. because of my style. There, Okay. So I, I went through like an emo, not really goth-like phase in high school. Mm-hmm. And I can see uh, that in you. Yes. <laughs> oh, it, it was a lot. But um, I always had, like, uh, crazy colors in my hair. Not really crazy colors in my hair, but, like, crazy hairstyles. Uh, definitely that thick makeup and stuff. Yeah. And skinny jeans, band tees. Um, but I would wear black a lot. And uh, I thought I was super cute rocking a red lip in high school. <laughs> like, I thought I was killing it. And... Um, I, I didn't like to drink water. I still don't like to drink like straight up water. Mm-hmm. I would always get those little flavor packets and put it in. And I got hooked on Hawaiian punch for a while. And this girl, her name, I think her name was Courtney. I've like blocked out <laughs> that part of my memory, but she was so rude. And she was going around telling people that I thought I was a vampire <laughs> just because I wore black red lipstick and drank like fruit punch. Red liquid. <laughs> like black. Dude, I would have embraced it, man. Start wearing vampire teeth to school. Well, everybody, if you want to support us um, on Patreon, you can find us on Patreon as Killer Country Podcast. If you would like to follow us on Facebook, keep up to date with our pictures, you can find us at facebook.com backslash Killer Country Podcast. You can also keep up with those pictures on Instagram at Killer Country Podcast. And if you would like to email us your campfire stories, any crazy stories that you have, or any not crazy stories, if you just want to message us, our email is killercountrypodcast at gmail.com. Oh, and and case suggestions can go there as well. (laughs) Case suggestions. So case suggestions, we want to be um, 
any true crime that you know happened in your area and just send them our way. We'll see what we can do with them. Mm -hmm. We'll try to cover what we can. The states that we've already passed, we'll go ahead and make sure to bring it up. That Mm -hmm. way you know that you're not being ignored. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for Florida. And we're going to jump right into Georgia. Yes. (laughs) So thank you for hanging out in Florida with us. Hopefully no one got... I I lost my train of thought. (laughs) Let's just uh let's just move on to Georgia. <laughs> let's just let's just quit. Let's All right. Quit. Okay. <laughs> Bye everybody. Bye.